0: Welcome to the Opawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. It's been an interesting week for me. It's been really busy, um, a good busy. There's a lot of things happening. It's been so busy that I missed out on, on, on two very important things that I do that are just part of my week. The first one was I missed out on watching my football on, on Sunday. And I was going, this yesterday I was just going through the TV, ready to record all the games for, for today, and I realised all the games from last week had been recorded and I hadn't watched them. And I was like, oh, that's how busy I was. And then I also realised that I hadn't done my sermon yet. <laughs> oh, I've got a sermon to preach tomorrow. Actually, this was Friday. I was like, oh, what do I do? Um, and, and a friend of mine said, well, I guess we're going to get a short sermon. And I said, I guess you don't know me. <laughs> um, yesterday, we were, we were in the car and we were heading out to um, uh, Antarctic Centre with the kids and, and with friends of ours. And we were passing by Rickett and Babs. I had to drop a couple of things off there. And... Um, I don't know the name of that street, but, you know, when you take Barrington and then you cross under the bridge uh, of the motorway there, and then what's the name of that road afterwards that goes up to Lincoln? Whiteley, oh, wait. Um, Whiteley Ave. Okay. So we get there and we, we stop at the traffic light there at Lincoln. And I'm looking in front of me at this car and I'm thinking, I know this car. It looks very familiar. It's a Fiat, a white Fiat Punto, which in Italian means point or full stop. Uh, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it, and I could see there's a quite an attractive young lady in the passenger seat, and, and kind of an old, boldish kind of guy in the right seat. And I'm trying to finger point, I know this couple, I know them. And I turned to Monica, I said, Does that look familiar to you? And a little dog was in the, I think a dog was in the car, and Monica's like, Oh, that's the Currys. <laughs> It's Alan and Caroline Curry, you know, and I thought, there's the young beautiful lady on the left and the old guy on the right. Um, and I tried to catch up with him, but Alan had the foot to the pedal. He was just down the road, you know, Formula One style. But anyway, <laughs> um, a few years ago, a few years ago, about a couple of years ago, I was driving on Centaurus Road. And just as you come to Kaizuka, Ka- Ka- uh, there, you know, there's that long stretch of road, I could see in the distance a car that I recognised. It was a red... Volkswagen Polo and there's only one red Volkswagen Polo I know and that's Robin's car and I thought oh there's Robin so I wind down my window and get my head hey Robin you know and the car's coming up and as it's getting closer I'm realizing is that actually Robin (laughs) I'm still waving right Yeah, and I'm realizing it's either Robin or she's just really having a bad day you know because she looks like a man you know That's, that's not Robin, right? <laughs> and then the grey beard kind of gave it away at the end and I thought, not only did the grey beard, but the very confused look at this person who's trying to look at me thinking, do I know this guy? And I drove by and I was like, oh my goodness, I just waved to somebody, I have absolutely no idea who it was. Uh, so, you know, you kind of pretend like, I'm not waving at you I'm waving at you know, something else. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, how many red Volkswagen Polos are there in this town? And how they happen to be right in the same area, I don't know. But um it's funny how our assumptions or presumptions uh of how we live and do things are shaped by some things that we sometimes see from afar. But as we get closer, all of a sudden, ooh, we need to revise the way we think. Right? There are some things that even as Christians we say that um uh, oh, there goes my thing again. Oh, there we go. Um there's some things that we say and do as Christians that sometimes, if we just took a closer look, ooh, maybe that, that needs to be revisited. For example, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine this week and, and, and he said, well, God loves me for who I am. And I thought, that sounds right. That, that looks right. But actually, if he loved you for who you are, then why did he send Jesus? You know, you just gotta kind of stop and think for a moment. Hmm, we assume a lot, but we don't go digging deeper, just that little bit more. Uh, God wants you to be more than who you are. And you know, there is one area in church where assumptions and presumptions really just explode. And guess what area that's in? Worship. Somebody, I heard somebody say worship. Oh yeah Worship is incredible I'll tell you, I've lived in four different countries I've worked in at least half a dozen Different churches from different denominations And I can tell you, the one thing that Matches all these churches apart from Jesus Is the problems they face With worship Every one of them And you know, every one of them's had a split At some point in their history Over, guess what? Worship I mean, it's true you know, we do it this way, we do it that way. Well, we think this is what worship is. Well, we think that's what worship is. And each one of these churches, church in Rome, church in the United States, church in Australia, and I know we've had some issues here in the past about what is worship. And a lot of it is dictated by our assumptions and presumptions. I see the red polo coming, so therefore I say that's Robin's car. But then when you take just a little bit of a look you realize maybe that's just not what I think it might be. You with me? So the question I've got to ask you this morning is, well, what is worship? What do you guys think is worship? Fellowship, Fellowship yes. Oh, yeah, that's a part of it. Anyone else want to share? Yeah. Yep. How you, um, how you acknowledge God and how you obey Him, that's right. Rebecca, you're saying our response to God? Our response to God. Yep, definitely. Sorry? Praise? praise. How we praise God? Yep. Yep. Anything else? Quite a bit quiet this morning. I've got to hit this place up a bit more. Do I need to get you guys to get up and stretch? No. no. Nothing. I'm not getting any response. Ouch. Okay. Open your Bibles then. Let's go to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Um, This is going to be interesting because a lot of people will argue there's no right or wrong answer. Well, there there actually is when it comes to worship. And I think the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. It's going to help us identify whether we really are looking at the red polo or not whether we are actually looking at the vehicle or not um in psalm 95 it says this it says come let us sing to the lord let us give a joyous shout to the rock of our salvation let us come before him with thanksgiving let us sing him pray, psalms of praise for the lord is a great god the great king above all gods he owns the depths of the earth he is even even the mightiest mountains are his the seas belong to him for he made it his hands form the dry land to come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. One thing you can definitely say about this sermon, about this psalm, is that it is completely and absolutely all encompassing, isn't it? Look what it says. Above all. He is God above all. And it goes even deeper. He's in the depths. And then he's in the heights as well with the mightiest mountains. Okay, we're not just talking about a God of one thing or this thing. He is everything. It goes on. The seas and the dry land. So when we're looking at the way this psalmist is looking at God, how is he looking at God? Sorry? It's Super big, huge, right? Almighty. Almighty, all-encompassing every bit of who, everything around it. He is everything. Invisible? Invisible. Invisible. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yep. So this is our God. This is our God. But one word I can say that really comes out in strength here comes from verses 6 and 7. It says this Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. There's one word that covers those two verses. It's called submission. Are you with me? When you kneel down, what are you saying? It's like the guy who wants to get married. It's almost a plea when they get on their knee. Will you, ma- I will submit. Will you marry me? It is a submissive, uh, giving of, of all I am when I'm coming to ask that question. Well, God wants you to be that way with him. Just get down on your knees. Not just get down here. Bow down. Uh, I'm a big football fan and I've noticed some football players will do this thing. They'll score a goal, they'll run and jump around, then they'll stop and they bow down and and they put their forehead to the ground. It's an Islamic ritual. They're bowing down in honour of who? Their God. They seem to do it quite happily in public. We don't, which I find quite interesting. Seeing as we sit here saying that we believe in the one true God. I find that very interesting. Anyway, where does submission start from? Where does that point of surrender begin at? Recognizing who God is, is, the point of salvation. Heather, on Tuesday, uh, Suzanne asked for healing. Who wants to come forward for healing Heather came up, she sat down in front of Suzanne and she said one thing. She said, I'm not a happy person. And I thought that was pretty intense. And you know what Suzanne's response was? Jesus loves you. And you know what happened? She burst into tears. And all of us burst into tears at that point. You know how powerful that is? Everyone there, including myself, I'll be honest, were there with the, with the microscope and the, the magnifying glass, oh, I'll well, just check these healings out and see whether they're actually biblical or not. You know, we're all kind of high and mighty about saying what's right and what's wrong, and there, this one instance where she just says three words, Jesus loves you, and this person breaks down in tears, and that was the greatest healing I've seen ever. Greatest leveler point of surrender, the point of submission, I am not good, bang, Jesus loves you. Bang. And we see a change, uh, a point in which a person just recognizes Jesus is God, he loves me, I submit to that, I, I surrender to that. Oh man, if you could have only seen it. All of us, we're all grown-ups there, all of us with tears in our eyes. At point of surrender, come, let us worship and bow down. Acknowledge who is our God. He is our God. You know, in, 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 in the Old Testament, worship was defined by one thing. You know what it was defined by? The temple. God had outlaid a system of worship. That was actually portrayed in the temple, through the tabernacle, right up to the point of the sacrifice. You had to follow each step, and that was the way God wanted to be worshipped. Okay? And that is how the people submitted. They, they entered into that submissive relationship where they surrendered themselves to God through the tabernacle and through that. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it says this, they serve uh, in a system of worship That is only a copy, a shadow Of the real one in heaven For Moses was getting ready to build a tabernacle. And God gave him this warning Be sure you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain So he's actually laid out a plan of worship This is how you are to worship me Do we follow that today? Why not? Oh, I knew someone was going to say Jesus <laughs> <laughs> I've trained you all too well uh, for those of you who are new here, I, I've told people when asked questions, if you say Jesus, you know, 50% of the times you'll get it right. So, um, Well, yeah, I guess it is Jesus, yes. But it's interesting that a lot of us don't know what God intended for his people in how to worship him. So when we come into the worship wars, which I call them, and you go into a church, I've been a worship pastor for about uh, 11 years before coming here. And I'll tell you, every time I face this, almost on a weekly basis, on people's opinions on how worship should be, I call them the worship wars. And I used to ask people, well, do you know what God intended for worship? Yes, the Bible says this, this and this. Well, what did he actually outline for his people? And they'd leave them stumped. They wouldn't know. Go to the Old Testament and have a look. He actually wrote it out. This is the way he wants to be worshipped. And we forget it. We cover it with Jesus and say... Okay, well Jesus is here now, we don't have to do that anymore. In a sense, that's true. John chapter 4, verses 23 to 24, Jesus says this, he says, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people for what? For worship, to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And there's Jesus kind of encapsulating everything that God had laid out in the Old Testament and putting it into everyday language. The time is coming that the true worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. An interesting question. What does he mean? By spirit. Does it mean Holy Spirit? He's talking about your spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your spirit. Your spirit has been created, it has been created to connect with God. And He's calling Hey, I've created you to worship me in spirit. And then there's the truth as well. We'll get deeper into it in a moment. Carol Wimber says this, she says, Worship is not a vehicle to warm up the congregation for the preacher or to soften up people for the offering. Worship comes from Jesus and goes back to Jesus from us. He gives us everything, but worship belongs to Him. You with me? It belongs to Him. Singing is not just worship. You realize that, right? It's not just about singing. When we get distracted by that, we're actually minimizing localizing worship into one small little container and that's it. That's why I'm so intentional about telling you about fellowship, about offering, about doing, because that is actually the encapsulation of all of worship. It's not just singing. One of the problems I've heard in the past, you know, where people like and don't like songs, when we get into the point of I like or I don't like or I think or I, you know, or I feel, you, you've got that big word in front of all of that and it's the I word. And the fact is, worship is not about I, it's about God. Now, if you're uh, presumptuous enough to know what God wants and doesn't want, then hey, you know, I'll take a step back and you guys can lead right away. Okay? The truth of the matter is, That's not how it works. It's not by what I want. It's about what He wants. It's not by what I like. It's about what He likes. Worship is not evangelism. Some people use it as a form of evangelism. Oh, well, it's got to have words. It's got to have the gospel in it. No, it doesn't. Because that's not the purpose of worship. The purpose of worship is what? Proclaiming and honouring our God. Now, the word gospel mission may come into that, but that's not the purpose of it. We're only there to honor God, not through singing, through everything, through everything. Look at this, Psalm ninety-five. Look at all the verbs. I'm sure there are going to be some of you who are going to look up there and think, "Hey, Rob, you missed a verb." Come, sing, give, shout, come, sing, come, worship, bow down, kneel. These are the doing words. How many of us are kneeled when we've worshipped our Lord? How many of you are bowed down when we've worshipped? How many times do you read, bow down before the Lord in this Bible, and how many have actually done it? Man, back in the day when I was in a brethren church, anyone who raised a hand would shoot it down before they'd even get halfway up the torso. If you bowed down, we would have beaten you up with a baseball bat. What are you doing? That's not proper worship. I mean, that's the truth of it. I grew up as a Christian in a church like that. You know, and you start to think, hang on a second. You read all these doing words in the Bible. Come, shout. Who shouts when they worship the Lord? Oh no, you need to have a proper soft voice when you're talking to the Lord. When you see the throne room of God in, in the book of Revelation, what are these elders doing? What are they doing? Falling flat on their faces, worshiping God. What are they saying? Oh, they're repeating themselves. All they're saying is holy, holy, holy. That's not deep theological worship. What is that? You you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just it's, it's, holy, holy, it's all they can say. They're on their faces, they're on the floor before the throne. These are the elders. These are the ones who should know better. They are on their face before the throne of God, worshipping. I've got to tell you guys, if God suddenly appeared right here, visibly, how would you react? Let's be honest, how would you react? Don't tell me you're going to stand up straight and say, Hey God, brother, high five! We're going to be flat on our faces, that's all I can say. I'm sorry, I said the Almighty God, I'm going to be just like Moses, I'm gone, I'm on down. Can you imagine? And yet we pretend to be here, worshipping God. And for the most part, we're upright, straight, very proper, as though he's not really there in front of us. Worship. Oh, all those doing words. Let me give you some uh, biblical hint tips on, on trying, on, on, on just kind of what is worship. Okay, first of all, worship needs to be authentic. Okay, if we go back to that verse in John chapter 4, it says true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit. Okay, you need to be authentic. Okay, now, I I went to a church, I, I, I became a Christian in a Pentecostal church, but I grew up as a Christian in a Brethren church. And then when I got married, I went back to that Pentecostal church. So I was a confused boy that whole time. Okay, for those of you who know the difference, one is on one extreme, the other is on the other extreme. And when I went from the Brethren Church, which was a very, very controlled, very systematic service, to a Pentecostal service which had no systems whatsoever, and I didn't know when it would start or when it would end, and I had a lady next to me that would dance in the hallway with a tambourine, totally out of time, with the music... Anyone been there? I mean, seriously. <laughs> and I would sit there and I'll be trying to worship the Lord, but this tambourine kept on going out of turn. It just drove me crazy. Um, you know, when God says, worship me in spirit, I don't think he wants us to be completely out of control. If you read in one Corinthians, Paul's very clear about even speaking in tongues. There needs to be some control. There needs to be some systems in place. We do need to do things in a way that is honouring him. We're not a free-for-all. But at the same time, he wants us to worship in spirit. So if I raise my hands to lift up my Lord, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me? you too busy trying to point out what I'm doing? Why aren't you worshipping God? For some of us, it means being quiet with our hands by our sides. That's the way we worship. For others of us, and I see some of you in here, your hands are up, your head's up in the air, and you're like, I'm worshipping God. He wants us to worship him in spirit, inside. Anyone read the book of Psalms? Tell me how many emotions are in there. It seems like David is consistently and the rest of the psalmists are consistently on antidepressants or something's going on in that book because there's a high, there's a low, there's this, there's that. They're angry at God. But you see this range of emotions all throughout. And you know what? It's quite repetitive too for those of you who've read Psalms, right? Have you noticed that? It's quite repetitive. I've had people in my past, especially... Oh, we don't like those songs, they're repetitive. Well, have you read the Psalms? They seem to kind of repeat themselves quite a bit. Why couldn't we just have 10 Psalms instead of 150? You know, they kind of say the same things after a while. I mean, seriously. But you see the range of emotions in there. David's not afraid to be angry at God, is he? He's not afraid to be fearful. He's not afraid to share his tears, his love, his anger, his frustrations, his confusion. They come out so clearly. So why can't we do that amongst us? Is anyone prepared to be real with God? Why aren't we sharing that with one another? If fellowship is part of worship, then I've got to be honest with myself and I've got to be honest with everyone around me. Why aren't we honest with each other? Because I think our society has told us that that's not cool. (laughs) One of my daughters is, is definitely more emotional than I am. And um, I've always struggled with it because she cries. And, and it doesn't help when I'm yelling at her saying, Stop crying, stop crying. I'm stopping. Stop crying. I can't handle it. I'm a guy. You can't cry like this. You know, it, it's funny how we guys kind of react that well, there's emotion being displayed now. What am I doing? What do I do with this? And then Monica in the background with her wisdom, just give her a hug. Give her a hug and she stops crying. I'm like, oh, okay, empathy. Hmm, that's a new thing. But it's so true. We don't know how to deal with emotion in our society today. You know, one of the reasons why I believe the church is flourishing in some places of the world that you would never believe, in Africa and Southeast Asia, because they're freely sharing their emotions with one another. They freely... Let it out. This is who I am. I'm a broken person. I stuff up every day of this week. I woke up Friday morning thinking I had to write a sermon. How bad a pastor am I? I should have been thinking about it last week and the week before. But we you know, being real is exactly what God wants us to be. Worship me in spirit. Don't worship me with all the trappings of who you are physically. Because you know what? That's gonna go to dust. Challenge me. Work with me. Worship me in spirit, the Lord says. Our worship of God needs to be authentic. We need to be authentic with God. And this is where we can say, God accepts me for who I am. Because in our brokenness, in his love for us, we are real with him and there's nothing on this earth that can separate you from him nothing worship of God needs to be accurate it goes on it says the true worshippers will worship the Father in truth it needs to be accurate I've known a lot of people who are very sincere in their worship but they've been sincerely wrong you know I've been to churches where I've got no problems with speaking in tongues, but I've been in churches where they just speak in tongues and I don't know a word of what's going on. I have no idea what's going on. You now, it's great that you can do it, but I don't know what you're saying. And I think the Bible tells me that if that's happening, it's not cool. So you're wrong. That's not worship. Okay? We need to worship in truth. And part of that truth needs to be honest representation of who God is. I could yell out the window and wave to every car going by, believing that they are members of my church. But every person in that car is going to look back kind of confused, thinking, who is that big, bold guy waving at me? Do I know him? We need to be honest with who God is. We need to actually acknowledge who God is. Because God's not something we invent God's not something that we kind of personify and say, this is my God. God wants you to honor him in truth. So, who is God? How do I know about him? Don't listen to me. If you don't trust me, there's a big book called the Bible, and I think that pretty much outlines a lot about who God is. Who is God? How does he want to be worshipped? How does he want us to submit to him? And that's the challenge, you know. Every time that I come to lead a worship team, the last church I was at, Southview, great church. The first thing they wanted me to do was they wanted me to, uh, what was the word, how did they put it? When I was being interviewed, they said they wanted, they wanted me to change the style of music. And I said, I can't do that. And they kind of looked at me like, what? I said, I don't just do music. I do worship. Now, if God wants me to use a guitar while I'm doing that, great. But I'm here to lead people in a form of worship, not in a form of music. And it kind of just, oh, you know, you got a point there. So they changed my title from being pastor for music and youth to pastor of worship and youth. And I took over the whole service because when we came together, everything we did was worship. Music's only a portion of it. And frankly, it's just a part of it. People who choose churches by the style of music have missed the boat. Can, Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Can I be honest? People who choose a church because of the music they like You know what? God's not a divine jukebox. Okay? You like your music. You know, God's given us radios. He he invented radios for that. He's even invented CDs now and MP3 players. And YouTube. He's invented YouTube too. God's great, isn't he? He's given us all these tools for us to be able to listen to whatever music we like. But when it comes time to worship him, we worship him by what he wants, not what I want. And we lose the truth in that. We lose the truth in that, no matter how good the song is. I remember in my first worship team, and being green as, and being typically confrontational as I am half the time, um, you know, the, the senior pastor who was Rob, who just recently passed away, his wife was the worship leader, and she said, Rob to me, here, can you lead the worship team? You play the guitar and, you know, you, you're, you're good at organizing things. Why don't you take it? And me being, yeah, hey, I can do this. No problem at all. You know, they'll do exactly what I say. And I remember the um the keyboardist, the, the, the lady on the keyboards, she was obviously the dominant person in this group. And I came up with this song list for my first worship practice. And she kind of looked at me and she looked at the list and she said, no, nah, we need to do Days of Elijah. Anyone know that song, Days of Elijah? some of you might some of you don't these are the days of elijah you know anyway behold he comes anyway um and i said nah we're not doing that and she kind of looked at me like she was taken aback. What, what i said no we're, we're doing the list she goes no nah, we need to do days of elijah i feel god is telling me to do days of elijah and i said yeah no i don't feel that that's not what god's telling me that's just to the list huh well i insist <laughs> oh do you now you insist I am sorry, but seeing as I'm the leader here and I love a team working together, but one's gotta make the call and I'm making the call. So she says, okay. She packs up her keyboard, sticks it on her arm, and walks out. Now the reason why I didn't want her to do days of didn't want to do days of Elijah is I knew a lot of the kids that I had been ministering to had no idea what that meant. No idea. And the fact of the matter is, when I turned to the worship team and I asked, do you know what the days of Elijah were? And they all just kind of looked at me. One person said, they were fantastic days, days of Lord's power. And I said, you're reading the wrong book, buddy. They weren't very good days. And if you don't know that, how are you going to expect the people that you're going to lead in worship to know that? It's like that, uh, that hymn, Come Thou Font, uh, my Ebenezer. What, what is an Ebenezer? Does anyone know what an Ebenezer is? I thought that was Scrooge. Um. <laughs> and a lot of my youth would turn around and say, we're singing, uh, come now, f- uh, uh, who knows that hymn, come thou font, found of every, my Ebenezer. I don't know oh, Ebenezer, what's why? why? It, it, it means something, I know it does. Does anyone know what it means, by the way? Because I don't. No, everyone's shaking their head. We sing hymns and we don't know what the words mean. And that's what I've got a problem with. As a worship leader, I have a problem with that. So unless I do a sermon before every song, What's the point of singing it? Because my heart doesn't know what's going on. So I'm sitting there praising all my Ebenezer. Uh, who? Oh, there was, the other, there was several words. I got into trouble quite a bit with that because I had one guy in our church who was really clued in. He goes, I, I couldn't sing that song because there were several words. I had no understanding what they meant. And then you see the elders fall flat on their face and they're just saying, holy, 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 because that's all they can say. And when you do that in church, sometimes people turn around and say, that wasn't deep enough. Ouch. Ouch. We can sing words we don't know, but the words we do know, are uh, too repetitive. Hmm. Hmm. Worship of God needs to be thoughtful. The Father is seeking. He's looking for us. He's looking for us. So we need to be thoughtful in what we do when you include the, uh, the worship in spirit and in truth, it's not good enough just to come up on a Sunday morning, just like a sermon, for me to just show up on a Sunday morning and start preaching. You guys would not appreciate that, would you? If I had no, uh, no notes, no no research, I'm just going to come up and preach. I'm just going to do it, off the cuff. You guys can handle that, right? You want to sit here for 30 minutes and listen to me just preach off the cuff? You'd have issues with that. I think the same with worship. You need to be thoughtful. You, you You actually need to think through it. It's like prayer time. Sometimes it's good to just let the Spirit take you and lead you. But I think, personally, that God is quite purposeful. He is seeking those who want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we need to be intentional about things. We need to be intentional about how we worship God, sometimes even how we pray. Why do we need to pray? Doesn't God know what's in my heart and my mind? He knows all things. And I've shared with you a thousand times before, Where I, where's God when you're in the bathroom? He's all present, so he's right there with you. So you know what? In your nakedness, no matter how perfect you think you look in the mirror and no matter how much you think you're hiding all those thoughts and those feelings inside of you, I think he knows what you're feeling and I think he knows what you're thinking. So why do I have to actually communicate it? Because he wants interaction with you. He wants to communicate with you. My wife knows I love her, so why do I have to keep telling her I love her? I mean, I've already said it once, doesn't that kind of last a a lifetime? Ladies, are you okay with that? Huh? It makes our job a lot easier, believe me. Just once. I I said I love you when we got married. Is that good enough for the rest of the next 50-odd years? No? Oh, come on. You're so demanding. (laughs) And, you know, we—we, we, I mean, let's be honest here, okay? Because we kind of treat God that way sometimes. I've told him I love him once, and that's really just enough. So we just put it over there, and we just get on with our lives. If we did that with our wives, guys, if we did that with our wives, you know that nice bread rolling pin, that ceramic one that she has? That, you know, guess where that's going to end up, hey? You know, at least you can, some of you got hair, you can cover the cracks. I don't have hair, so the cracks that they're going to have, they're all there. They're all there for everybody to see. So why do we do that with God? Why aren't we intentional just as much as we're intentional with our partners? You know, my kids need to hear me say I love them. They need to hear that. They need to be hugged. They need to be, there needs to be intention. And just as much as there needs to be intention with our relationship with God. Okay? It needs to be thoughtful. It also needs to be practical. Uh, I love this comment from David. I mean, David, who wrote a good portion of the Psalms, he says this, I will not offer sacrifices to, my, to the Lord my God, sacrifices that have cost me what? Nothing. I'm not going to offer sacrifices that cost me nothing. Part of worshipping God is actually giving who you are For Heather, that meant her whole being. The moment she surrendered to God and she submitted to him, she gave everything of herself up. And I know it's difficult when you're in church because you know time is short, money is short, fellowship is short, kids take up a lot of my time, work takes up a lot of my time, man, my TV shows take up a lot of my time, and all those lovely books I love to read take up a lot of my time. But our relationship with God is a sacrifice we need to make. It's part of our worship. It has to be practical. So some of the practical things, um, time, serving God. You know, if you really add up all the time you do during the week, how much time do you give away to really silly things? I've downloaded this app on my iPad and I've noticed I've become obsessive with it. It's a racing app. So, the, you know, the, the, the iPad feels like a steering wheel. And uh, that's where I've learned to drive all those really cool cars that I wish I could drive, okay? And I'm obsessed with it, okay? I've won all these tournaments. Yes, me. Uh, and then if I add up all the time, this last week I've spent on this silly game, um, you know, I would be afraid to say it's most, probably just as much time I've spent preparing for the sermon. And then when you think about it, you don't think about it because it's chunks, you know, an hour here, an hour there. But when you add it up, you think, oh my goodness, really, that much time? I could see Monica at the back there nodding her head. Yeah, it's one o'clock in the morning, you're still in your bed there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I'm rolling in the bed, you know, the poor thing, she's... She's laying on the other side of the bed getting rolled off the bed as I'm trying to take a hairpin turn, you know. Anyway, but, you know, if we really just sit down and actually add up our time and see how much we waste on things that do not work well for us in the long run. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have fun throwaway time. I think it's important that we have fun throwaway time. But how much is that dictating you from or taking away from you being practical in your worship of God? Time is a very important factor. Money is a very important factor. I know churches don't like, to, pastors always have, but you know what? How much does a cup of coffee cost these days? Too much here, I know, say amen. There's an Aussie right there who's come to here and he's just thought, oh, how do these people live here? It's so expensive. Yeah. We We went out to eat. Yeah, was it yesterday or the day before? 80 bucks! And I thought, you know, I came from the States and you know, I had a whole family out for 30 bucks and now I'm here, it's like three times as much. I'm like, oh my goodness. yeah, Things cost a lot of money. Coffee here, five bucks? Would I be good in saying that? You know? Uh, wow, for a cup of coffee. But we do it because we go out and we meet with our friends, we have a cup of coffee. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But then we all kind of balk when it comes to giving to God. Oh $5, $10 why, um, Really? Come on You're okay to throw it away To a multinational corporation That doesn't even put it back into this country You're throwing your money to them And it gives you that momentary pleasure Of having a cup of coffee And a little bit of a caffeine high Which frankly Coca-Cola does better But anyway <laughs> <laughs> No it's not It's not. I refuse to believe that. That's conspiracy theories right there. (laughs) Besmirching the name of Coca-Cola. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, actually, it's true. How much do you spend for a hamburger at uh, at McDonald's? I'm not saying they're bad things. What I'm saying is measuring it to your practical way of worshipping God. How much is that taking away from that? Huh? I'll be honest with you. I don't even think twice half the time's. But if I were to just stop for a moment and think about it, I think I'd be quite surprised at how far I'm going away from practically worshipping my God. Worship is not a part of your life. It is your life. Worship is not a part of your life. It's not what we just do here on a Sunday or at a prayer meeting. Or at a Bible study. It is your life. If you put your hand up and said, I am a follower of Jesus. Then you know what? That spirit lives in you. The temple. you remember all that? That's all part of you now. He lives inside of you. You are a walking element of worship for God. You are a walking element of worship for God. Don't be blasé about it. Be intentional about it. Don't, don't just shrug it off like it's nothing. You've got to be intentional about it. Don't copy the person next to you. Seek out what God wants from you. Don't, don't just trust what Rob says up front here. Trust what God's telling you. He's given us enough material to be able to work on that. Worship is not a part of your life. It is your life. You know, when you go through the end of Psalm 95, when you read on in that, it gets pretty heavy here. You know, it gets really heavy. Don't harden your hearts. Don't walk away. They tried my patience. Don't get caught up in your ways. Don't get, Don't refuse to do what I tell you to do. You read there. At the end there, he says, so in my anger I made a vow they will never enter My place of rest. You know, we talk about the first half of being, you know, quite verbal in in what we do for the Lord in our worship, but the second half is a warning. And we shouldn't take that nonchalantly. We've got to take that quite seriously. God's saying, You know what? I think I think you're being a bit blase about your worship towards me. Don't don't do these things. Don't 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 fall by the wayside. Don't harden your hearts. Don't try my patience. It's interesting. In 2 Samuel, there's a scene where David, you know, he's bringing the Ark of the Lord to the the city and and he's doing this parade. He says this, As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David, what's he doing? He's leaping and dancing before the Lord. Now, They wore uh, uh, bedsheets back then, you know, those long things, you know, they didn't have jeans back then with belts on them. So when you're leaping and dancing, what's going to happen to that that dress that you wear, huh? It's going to show the knees, isn't it? I think at some point in history, we weren't very happy about showing off knees. But he was dancing and leaping. She tackles that in a minute. And then what did Michael do? She despised him in her heart, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Hmm. Going around, what? Half naked in full view. That scoot was going right up. Yeah, showing yourself off like that. What is this? So the slave girls and and of his servants, uh, any vulgar fellow would do. Look at that. Can you hear the Self-righteousness coming out of what she's saying. And David responded, he said this, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Whoa! I don't care what you think, girl. I will become even more undignified. I think we care a bit too much about what other people think. When we're praising and worshipping the Lord, we're thinking only of Him. It's between us and them. Not, not about what we see others doing. When it comes to worship, our lives, do you think I'm going to stand next to you when you stand before the Lord? Is that what's going to happen? Who's going to stand next to you when you're before the Lord? Come on, say it. (laughs) I can see all these mouths like Jesus. Well, yeah, actually, he's the only one that's going to stand beside you when you stand before the God the Father. And so, you know what? You'll be held accountable worship the lord with your whole heart and spirit and in truth even if the songs are the songs you don't like you know and sometimes the music's not great especially when that bold fellow in the back there with the guitars playing you know or well, sometimes the drums are too loud and what happened to the trombone anyway i'd like the trombone you know we 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 we, we personalize you know we want it's not about that. Sometimes it's just good to close your eyes and just lift your time up to the Lord. It really is. Because it's not about how good we look up front here or how good look we look back there. It's about our time of worship. All they're trying to do is try to bring you into that worship through music. What I'm trying to do is bring you into worship with the Lord through, through the Word of God. And, and, and our fellowship, hopefully, is bringing you closer to God by acknowledging the people around you who, who do love you. And accept you for who you are. I'll become even more undignified than this. Isn't that a song? i ask the worship team to come up. I want to challenge us this morning. As we come into kind of understanding what our view of worship is. When you see that red polo coming down the street and you really think, that's it, that's Robin in that car there, it might be good to dig deeper. It might be good just to scratch a little bit into the service. Discover the God that you honor and love. Find out what he wants. Discover who he is. And don't worry about being dignified in worship. That lady with the tambourine is still being preached today. All I can say is she had a heart for the Lord. and When she stands before the Lord, I don't think she'll care about what Rob thought. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we're in fellowship with you uh, through song, through word, through, through giving, through, through fellowship. Praise you, Lord, for the God you are. Uh, you've laid out very clearly how you like to be worshipped. And through your Son, you're calling us to worship you in truth and in spirit. Help us, Lord, to be real with you when it comes to, to worshipping you and, and being real about who you are as we worship. Not about what we like or what we want, but by what you want, by what you like. Forgive us, Lord, for the times where we have fallen short, where we have made it all about us. We are human, Lord. And at times that drives us. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Help us to, to be more your people when it comes to worship. We've seen the impact of, of communion. We've seen the impact of baptism. May, may, may worship have an equally strong impact in our lives. May it be not just something, a part of who we are, but may it be who we are, Period. We praise you, Lord. For some of us right now, Lord, we're going to lift up our voices as we sing to you, Father, but you know, it might be also good to just listen. Worship also involves using our ears as much as using our voices, as much as using our hearts and our head. As we sing this last song, Lord, speak to our hearts. As we raise our voices to you, Lord. Speak to us. And for those who may want to be quiet, Lord, touch their hearts. We worship you, Lord. You are our God. We are your people.